So Tristan, we for this week are bringing on Andy Mead. Now Andy Mead for the listeners is the owner of Mead New Homes. He's got a background of well, actually started in property in 87, he tells us, 1987. So he's got a background with a lot of property experience and many decades working specifically with developers for national house builders and also marketing properties for national house builders. If you buy a brand new home in Scotland, you'll get rented for 41% more than the same equivalent second-hand property. Mm. And it comes down, I think it comes down to about 21% in the southeast. Mm. We've spoke a lot about the different type of uh, green ratings, EPC changes, and we thought getting a new home specialist on for this podcast is going to hopefully give some really valuable information for people on where to put their money next and a different option to where to spend some money. So I'm looking forward to getting him in. I really like Andy. I've known him for quite a few years. He's very knowledgeable and I know he's going to share some good information. Specifically, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it'll be good to catch up with him, see what trends are going on. Obviously, there's massive demand at the moment, especially for lettings. New builds just go literally the day they go on the market and they get a premium price, especially with the change of uh, EPCs coming into effect, probably in 2025. It'll be interesting to see whether we are seeing more investors buy them. I know I'm certainly seeing that, but whether it's seeing it sort of nationally yeah. uh, and just really get some more insight from him. But yeah, really looking forward to this one. Yeah, I really think the listeners and property investors, whether you've invested already in property, you're looking to invest, you're a current landlord with a portfolio, the landscape is changing over the next few years. And this is a podcast which I think you'll get a really good inside free bit of information in exactly what you need to do with your money over the coming years. So definitely listen into this one and we're going to get them in now. So Andy, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Looking forward to getting stuck into new homes and how we can relate that back to property investors. But how are you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the chat. Good stuff. So the first thing I wanted to do is get straight into advice for our listeners. And one of the things that I always think about, you see a lot of these new big developments being built at the moment, 500 units, 1,000 units. And it seems to be, you know, they're creating maybe a school in some occasions and they've also got convenience stores and things like that. But if I was a property investor and I wanted to purchase across one of the, say, three phases, when would be the best time, do you think? Because uh, we've been in the industry for a while. It used to be buy off plan, you get the best deal. Yeah. But I don't think it's quite as simple as that anymore. No, I mean, what you need to look at, if you're... Let's, let's go through. So say if it's a, a large development where the developer has got two, three, four show homes of different house types, mm-hmm. the chances are they will want to sell those on a buy-to-rent basis, on a buy-to-let basis. The show homes? The show homes. Okay. So you buy the show home, but you'd lease it back. So it's a buy-to-lease, they call it. So you buy the show home, and then you'd lease it back on a guaranteed rental with the developer saying so in some instances you're getting they'll guarantee a rental return of six six and a half percent the good thing about that is you've got a guaranteed tenant for yeah. the duration of the development or however long they need that show home for that's the best way to get onto as an investor is to try and get the show homes i'd always look at the developers year end so if they've got any stock units that they haven't sold prior to their year end that they want to get in for their figures they may do deals on that below any buying it Car, brand yeah. new car, same thing. Yeah, the end of registration dates. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of developers that would do massive deals on it, especially the way the market is at the moment. Yeah. But if you can get in at the right time and you can understand and you know when their financial year ends or their half financial year ends, what they want to do with their stock units, if they've got stock units they want to sell, that's, that's usually where you will get the biggest deal. Or if you're prepared to exchange contracts on an off-plan deal. Mm-hmm. 
So I've, I've, I've given some advice on this podcast about stock units, but just to explain that to someone listening that maybe doesn't know what us in the industry would call a stock unit, what, what exactly is a stock unit? So a stock unit is a house that's built, finished, doors closed, all the building work's finished and it's just sat there. So it's a unit that is has been finished off and hasn't sold or it may have sold and something may have happened with the chain, so it's come re-available. So it's, it's literally bricks and mortar that are sat there as a finished unit as pounds, shillings and pence for the developer. Yeah, which buyer can move in. Yeah, it can move in straight away. So it's all signed off. It's all got its NHBC um, sign-off guarantee, CML signed off. Um, so it is effectively a stock unit. So mm-hmm. when we say stock, you know, you go to stock, you buy it off the shelf. Yeah, it's okay. effectively you can buy it off the shelf. And that's a much better deal for our investors than something that's not quite built because the developer's got time on their hands before yeah. that money needs to be in the bank for their targets. And I suppose going back to the show home scenario, the benefit yeah. of that is it's less wear and tear and it could be for a two or three year basis at a good rental that you've agreed prior. So your figures are based on a buy to let to buy that new home with minimal wear and tear. So come the time at the end of that development, you've still got pretty much a brand new house, haven't you? Pretty much so, yeah. The developers I've worked with in the past invariably will go back in and redecorate. Some will change the carpet, some won't, because effectively, you you know, you've got the way, there is wear and tear that you have to, that you're getting paid for. Mm -hmm. Usually the best way of doing it as an investor, if you can get the, um, because you're buying it at, let's say, 2022 prices, you're renting it out for three years. So that market over three years, you're going to get the capital growth as well as a guaranteed rental income. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's invariably the best way to do it if you can get onto their early doors and get the get the show units. And at what stage would that normally be available or could someone potentially get that wrapped up at? Would it be a later stage or at the start? Or a bit the start. Typically? A bit at the start. So what they'd want to do is, so if they're doing, say it's a thousand unit development, they're going to have four or five show homes. Those completions on those four or five units will invariably fund potentially a lot of the first phase. Mm. So if there are five units that are a million, million and a half pounds, two million pounds, that's money they've got into their bank before they finish building everything else. So they've already started to recoup the costs of the road structures, the drainage, the whole infrastructure. Marketing yeah. for the site, I would have thought as well. Yeah, so that, so that they want to look at ways of getting their money back and, and rather than having a property sat there that's not earning them any money, so effectively it's a stock unit they've built, not earning them any money, they can use that and they've they've got the money back in from it. So it's um, it's the best way to do it as an investor if you can get the show homes on a, on a leaseback basis. And I guess the bigger the development, the longer the show home is probably going to be used. Therefore, the longer you've got that guaranteed mm. rental income as well. Yeah. And that's a really, really good set of tips there. So stock units and show homes. And I would imagine if we're looking at a site that's got or a development that's going to have three or four phases, buying the first phase, which is what I would call for, for buyers the uncomfortable phase because you've got the yeah. building, the contractors, none of the kind of evergreen part of the development is through at that point. That's the kind of more uncomfortable and inconvenient part of it is probably going to be the cheapest time to buy a stock unit as well, I would have thought, compared to the fourth phase. Yeah, I mean, if you do the marketing properly and if the agent's marketing the property, the stock unit shouldn't be there because the stock unit should all be sold. Mm. But invariably, you are going to get, especially if it's a large unit, a large development where you've got, I don't know, you might have 50 of the same house types on the same phase now if those house types sell very very well they're gonna they're not gonna have stock units if they're units that don't sell very well then 
they're going to have stock units. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. And we said on the intro that you've got a fair <coughs> few decades worth of industry experience in new homes, working for developers, agents, yourself, etc. With your London experience that you had previously, how have you found the home counties and London differs for developments and developers themselves? Perception. The from working in main developers in London who had offices in outside of London, it was always oh, it's the London lot and the London market's easier. Invariably, the London market was easier, but it was a lot busier. Mm. So whereas if you were selling a house, if you had a development in, say, Bracknell, you'd have a competition of five or six other developers within a three-mile radius. Mm -hmm. If you're selling a development in London, invariably you've got 10 developers in a two-mile radius. Mm. So it's finding the buyer for and how, how you make your development stand out and how you make the buyer, how you get the buyers come to your development. So it's a lot of, it's a completely different animal in terms of the market in, in the market where we had it very, very good seven, eight years ago, they've obviously struggled over the last two or three years. But from speaking to people I know who are still there, it's still the same as that the marketing has to be tipped up. The marketing has to be always one cut above what it used to be by the competitors. Would it be the <coughs> correct or wrong perception that more investors and buy-to-let purchasers would typically go for the London sites over the home counties. Do you think that's uh, fair? Or? Yeah, there's a lot of overseas um, overseas investors just purely for the perception of London. Mm. Especially zones two, one and two were very, very popular in terms of Chinese buyers, overseas buyers. Zones three were, you would get them anything outside zone three, you, it wouldn't really be an investor market. Mm -hmm. So one, two, and three were very, very popular. Arsenal very, very popular, I, I understand. Purely for the fact that the, as much as the London market suffered over the last three, three or four years, it will always go up. It will always be a strong investment. There will always be renters there. There will always be people that want to rent within the London market. So yeah, yeah. from a commodity, it's very, very good. So whether the market goes up or down, if you're looking at it long term, you're going to do very, very well. Yeah, no, excellent stuff. And we've spoke, Tristan, a lot about how landlords and the way they have to rent properties is changing and will change over the coming years with more energy efficiency, EPC ratings and being a bit more green friendly. Mm. Are you finding that developers are kind of acting in that way already or is that not something that's on the agenda at the moment? With uh, they're, well, they're having to because of the planning laws. Mm. A lot of the planning laws are changing. So there's a lot more green open spaces on the development, you know, whereas before they try and cram as much as they can in. Yeah. Whereas now if it's a, I don't know, say it's a six acre development, two of those acres have got to be for open space or for ponds or for walks or for wildlife and what yeah. have you. Um, so there's there's the open spaces, plus there's the, the sustainability in the houses as well. So there's, there's I think we spoke about this earlier, about the... Um, energy efficient boilers that are now starting to come in. A lot of them haven't started doing them yet, but I'm pretty sure over the next year, two years, they're going to have to start using the heat pump um, boilers. There's a lot of um, reusable rainwater um, that is being used. So the whole eco-friendliness, if that's the right thing, the right way to say eco-friendliness. <laughs> Green friendly, yeah. <laughs> Green friendly. Um, of houses has, has evolved massively over the last four or five years. Yeah. I think there's developments around here, right? I've definitely noticed more open space or more parks or little mini football pitches and mm. things like that. It definitely feels like where where the houses are, they might still be relatively congested, but then there is opposite them some really nice open space. Whereas yeah. before, it used to be 
just jam-packed, wasn't it, a little bit? So that's definitely one change. What other changes would you say have happened, um, you know, specifically since COVID and things like that? Have, have we seen that come out in the wash now and how developers are changing because of COVID? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the layouts of the houses are changing. More understanding of working from home. Mm. A lot of people changing from sat on the end of their worktops now to having a designated area, whether it be a 10 by 7 hub workspace area, um, whether it be a designated room where that room within may have been open plan. Yeah. So there's the developers have, uh, I won't say all of them, there's a lot of them have taken into account. There is a lot more need for working from home. Mm. There's a lot more technology going into houses with fibre connections, with ports throughout the house. You get, uh, get a lot of like media walls and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. so rather than just having the standard media wall, you might have one in the lounge for all you obviously TV and everything else, but you may have one in the study area. Yeah. So do you think typically we're going to start seeing, at the moment we see a lot of open plan living space with living areas, we're going to start seeing a bit more enclosed and private just to allow an extra office space or is it going to be maybe an additional room or it'll space? It'll be an additional room. I think you will still see the open space because that's what people want and that's what people aspire to. Yeah. I was talking to a developer this morning and went you know, looking around his units and he was saying that they've got this massive kitchen, lounge, dining area and he didn't like it. I said, but this is what people want. This is what this is what the buyers are looking for now. Mm. So it's the aspiration of not being able to close a room off. I mean, I'll put it in my house. We've got a dining room in our house, and this gets closed and never gets used unless somebody special comes. Yeah. We don't know anybody special comes, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it never gets it never gets used. But whereas if that was all open plan, it would make a massive you know kitchen, dining, breakfast room that would be really nice. So yeah, a lot of people want the the larger rooms, and the a lot of people aspire to having the larger rooms rather than. You know, when we first bought our first homes, we've got, we've got to have three bedrooms, we've got to have two reception rooms, we've got to have this, you know, one reception room if it's across the whole of the house and then you've got the kitchen tucked away. You know, that is what people want nowadays. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I don't know whether, I don't know whether that will change or become back to the normal. I've done a lot of viewings on just normal resi properties and even families have said to me, they still want the open plan kitchen, living, dining space but they want, they're not overly fussed on a living room being a huge living room like they yeah. used to be because they're now thinking actually the living room, it could easily be split into two because otherwise I'm going to be working from the sofa. And I don't know whether that's just a short-term thing, whether I, that's that's going to change. I, as, think, I think it's long-term. I, I sold a house two weeks ago to a guy that would never buy a brand new house. And he said he's been looking for um, a, a second-hand home. He wanted four bedrooms. He wanted an open plan. And he couldn't find anywhere. And he found one house that was ideal where he could have knocked the rooms through and done this and done that. He spoke to a, a builder uh, to come and quote for him to do the work. And the builder said he can do it, but he wouldn't be able to do anything until 2024. Wow. So that was nearly just over two years of where he's looking to get, or where he can where he can book it into. I've had, I mean, I need my house, my house redecorated. And we've got a big staircase, and I just I said to Tommy, because I'm not going to do the staircase. We'll get, and we know we know a decorator, and he came round, and we booked him in now for November. Wow. Trades, trades are so busy, but yeah. but because people can't now do that with the second hand homes, mm. they're they're going onto the new homes where it's already done. Mm. So you know, so the also the decoration's already done, the open plan living is already done. Mm-hmm. So they're making a concession that where they wouldn't have perceived a new home as what they wanted to buy is actually it ticks all the boxes because of all the changes that have happened. The other appeal, I think, for, for landlords and property investors and some something that's a huge problem in, in the property market at the moment is timescales. 
because people finding at the top of the chain is such a dilemma at the moment where there's not enough stock on. And I think investors that are so keen to capitalise on a growing market now, once they make the decision they want to pull the trigger and buy a property, they don't want to offer on something and then sit and wait for someone to potentially never find for the next six months. They want to go on it now. And that's where new homes, not just for property investors and landlords, but for people that, like you say, maybe never would have bought a new home previously or had that stigma, they're now going to the appeal that you can effectively move into a brand new property on more or less a guaranteed timescale as well. And that seems to be the way that the market is drawing to the top of the chains. And also, for, for I think, for property investors and developers that they're now looking at new homes as a real appeal with all the green functions and all the energy-efficient mortgages and things like that in play, the new homes market has really got a good buzz about it at the moment. I guess the question is, why can't we build enough new homes and why haven't we been able to build enough new homes over the last 10, 15 years to, to handle the supply or um, handle the demand? How long have we got? <laughs> Not that long in a short, um, in a short right, answer. So short, yeah. short answer is, so if I go from today backwards, being completely honest, whereas beforehand, if you were buying a new home and you were given a date of, I don't know, August, September time, a developer will always give a quarter rather than a month because obviously it's it's a man-made product and it, you know there, there sometimes there are issues. Where we are in today's market with the procurement of materials being an issue, um, labour shortages being an issue, a lot of new homes are being delayed in terms of when they're being delivered, mm. and that's just being completely honest. And it's not you know we're not talking years, but we're talking you know wherever it be in September, it might be October, November. Mm. What I'm doing now with some of the developers that I'm dealing with now is that we've got a site that we're launching in the next two or three weeks where he's already got the roof trusses on, but he's saying to me, I don't want you telling anybody any dates before December. Now, we're now April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. So that's eight months. Yeah. It doesn't take eight months mm. from roof trusses being on to then finishing the house. You know, you'd be looking, invariably, I would have thought about four months. But he's buying himself the timing, which is the right thing to do. Yeah. So we're going to be saying to the buyers that buy these units, right, we're looking at December. Mm-hmm. It may well be August, September, or somewhere, maybe September, October, November, but just bank yourself on December. And the developer, it's not like they can build more because they need those ones completed to then invest in the next project. Yeah. So by everything being slower, it means there's less coming to the market. Yeah, which is obviously causing the, the yeah, and, then, and you've got the planning issues as well. There's, you know, depending on what planning authority you're dealing with, some are very, very developer keen to work with. Mm-hmm. Others are very, very still, very, very not building that. We're not building this. If you're going to build that, you can't have the garages because we don't want people to be parking on the developments. Well, okay, just because it hasn't got a garage doesn't mean people are going to get rid of their cars. Mm. So it's there's a, there's a, there's quite a few issues still with planning. So they still find that even with the massive shortage that we're seeing around, they're still being very strict in certain scenarios like that. Yeah. So they're not trying to work with with everyone. Not all of them. No, no, not all of them. No. There's, there's some that are. There's some that are very pro-development. There are some which are very negative towards development. And we'll, I've got to be careful what I say, but you know, they, they, will, they will make a change for the sake of making a change. And it's for them to say, Councillor Brown made that change when it didn't actually need to be done, but him making that change to put things back three or four months. Mm-hmm. So it's, 
there's, there's issues with the planning, there's issues with procurement, there's issues with staff shortages, uh, trade shortages. But if you're with the right developer who doesn't cut corners, which are the ones that we deal with don't, and you're honest with the buyer from day one, so this is the date we're working to, this is where we are. You know, we've got the plan permission, we started building, we're at first lift, you invariably will take six months from first lift. Yeah. So you're going to be looking at that that, that time. Yeah. So it's it's um it's all about being honest and, and being upfront with the buyer in terms of what their timescales are going to be. Um, because the builder wants to build it as quickly as he can. Yeah, of course he does. If it's a builder any worth worth his salt, he is going to build it as quickly as he can, but without compromising his own standards. New homes are still very, very good. If you've got the right agent that you're buying through and is upfront and honest with you with discussions with the builder, and then, so if there's a change in the date, there's a change in the date, nobody can change that. Mm -hmm. Nobody's making it longer to annoy somebody. But if the dates move from August to September, and I don't tell you till, and I'm told in May, but I don't tell you till June, it's like, hold on, I'm getting ready to move in next month. It's where I, it is where I think people have to be careful with the estate agency industry, because I'm not saying you have to buy through X, Y, or Z, but if you are buying potentially through a corporate agency, for example, which has a high staff turnover and it's got a lot of different departments and you're an investor that's looking to put your money and your eggs into that basket, the communication that you might get from that contact at that agency might hinder your plans a little bit, not always, but potentially. And you compare that to talking directly to a developer or bespoke marketing agency like yourself, then you're going to get the communication channel much, much better than if you are a corporate. So I think it is also important to raise that, that just be careful the agency you're purchasing for as well. I know on your LinkedIn, because I follow you on LinkedIn, you're king of the stats. Um, <laughs> so if anyone wants some inside stats in new homes and land, or sometimes just random, um, then check out Andy Mead on LinkedIn, definitely, or Mead New Homes. But one of them that you raised was actually to do with golf courses, and oh, yeah. the, the amount of houses <laughs> in the UK because I think that really sets uh, the expectation because I think a lot of people feel the UK is is overbuilt and overdeveloped and there's too many properties and people are kind of like you know we, we, we need to slow this down but actually it's not the case at all and there is a huge shortage of properties and you know that statistic that you mentioned showed that there's, there's way more space for us to yeah, to move into. yeah. I think we've got the government uh, have, have sat out cards on that they, they want to be building three hundred thousand new homes a year every year. Mm. We're currently, I think, last year was just below two hundred thousand. The year before was one hundred eighty-seven thousand. Also, we had COVID and what have you in between. But they're a long way short of being able to meet their target of what they want to do. Yeah. So if they're building 300,000 new homes every year, obviously there's going to be a social element in there, there's going to be the affordable living in those. But what people need to understand is that with them buying these new homes, say for example, they're the, let's say they're a four bedroom detached home, which are 500,000 pounds. Somebody's going to buy that. Now if that's somebody who's selling it, who's selling a three bedroom home to buy the four bedroom home or a two bedroom home, that's then free in that, smaller, more affordable property up for sale on the market. Mm. So as much as it, they might not be affordable here on the new home, on the new side, they're actually releasing the second-hand property or the third-hand property, which is more affordable. Yeah. But on any development, you're always going to get an affordable element anyway. You know, it's very rare that you'll get a development where the builder will just be building big four- or five-bedroom nudges where only the super-rich can afford. Yeah. 
um, they, there is a mix, and that's what a lot of the councils do now. They're, they're wanting to have a mix. So the site we decided in Woolhampton, you know, there was an element of um, social apartments, there was two bedroom houses, there was three bedroom houses, then you had four bedrooms, and then the big four bedrooms at the back. So there's a whole mix. So, a blend for the different yeah. <coughs> different options for different demographics. To and it's building a community, and that's what they want to be doing. They want to be building a community of of people, not just a, a community of houses and um, people that have got four by fours. And you know, it's a, it's a community. So whether it's young families, whether it's old families, whether mm-hmm. it's people moving down market, every developer wants to build a community. Yeah. And that's what they want to be doing. And I think you see that with a lot of the developments now. We see it because we're heavy on social media that you see some of the Facebook groups are very strong communities, which comes from the way that developers have set it up. So it raises a good point. And just so people don't uh, attack me later on on this, the stat was there's more golf course land than properties in the UK. Is that right? Yeah. So golf courses covered, I think, I can't can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was golf courses covered twice as much land that is covered by urban property. And which is amazing, isn't it? That's that's crazy. crazy. And and it's low percentages in the UK as well for both. Yeah, yeah. It's only uh, I think it's just under five percent. Yeah, which is wow. which is crazy. So let's just work on a case study then, um, and we'll do this live and random on on the podcast now because sometimes that's the, the most fun way to do it. But if we work on a case study based on a develop uh, an investor is looking at a development and they're thinking, do I buy? the detached family home, because we, we hark on a lot on this podcast about the safe bet being a family home is a really good place to invest your money for the long term. Uh, it's the best place to keep the void period is low and it's the easiest rental and normally it's got the strongest equity growth as well. So if we were kind of just splitting down the line and saying four bed townhouse versus four bed detached, and let's say the four bed townhouse is worth 500 grand in whatever location it's in, when you're looking at the pound per square foot of the townhouse versus the detached, it will always be lower on the townhouse than it will yeah. be on the detached, the actual pound per square yeah. foot. So inevitably, you're going to get more house for your money with the townhouse than you are with the detached. Um, from your point of view, Tristan, when you're valuing that and you're looking at, let's just say, 1,800 square foot for both, four beds, good size, you know, good size four beds, What's the swing on the detached house that's got four beds, two bathrooms versus the townhouse that's also got four beds, two bathrooms? It's maybe marginally smaller, but not by much. Is there a big swing on the rental? There is a slight change between them. I think it depends on the development itself. Um, Mm. The ones I've had recently, square footage have been fairly similar. Obviously, the townhouse has been slightly bigger. Um, But... I think it comes down to the preference of the individual. I think we're in a marketplace now where it's so busy, any property of three bedrooms plus will go straight away at a premium price. Mm. I think the the benefit that the the investor needs to look at is with a new build, you don't have to spend on a new boiler, you don't need to spend on wear and tear on the property. So regardless of whether it's detached or townhouse, it's gonna be minimal expenditure at the start of that for, for a good period of time, yeah. even with a repaint. Whereas with an older property, you're gonna have the, the likes of increased EPC rating um, come 2025, potentially works on the boilers because they're getting old if, if, if it's an older property and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, but typically the ones we've had recently, the most recent one was Shinfield Meadows. Uh, we had a three bedroom townhouse that had two reception rooms. That typically went at 1850, but had offers at around the 2000 pound mark. 
Um, whereas a detached house we've had recently, that come on at 2250. So it's about 250 pound rough difference on that for a similar style property. Um, but both have their own benefits, mm. in my opinion. Um, they're, they're, they're both different shapes and sizes. It just depends on the individual. So you probably find for the yield, when you're talking to developers or investors, I should say, looking to buy, probably find for the yield, the townhouse is slightly better. Maybe for resale or for equity growth, maybe the house has got a little bit more margins on that potentially. Would you say one sells faster than the other from, from new build, just in general buyers? Uh, it goes back to the buyer. I mean, it, it goes back on the buyer's preference. So if you're looking at a, a standard two-storey detached house as opposed to a standard three-storey townhouse, it's the preference that you want. So if you've got a young family, do they want to have their kids on separate floors and what they're sleeping on? Invariably, no. So therefore, the, the townhouse is going to, is going to sorry, the, the, the traditional two-storey house is going to sell. If you've got um, Mr. and Mrs. that live there, work that want to buy there, they haven't got kids, or the kids may be older, and they work from home, the townhouse may sell quicker because they've got an area where they can close it off as a as an office. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it, each one's, they're each on their own merit. And I, I think as Tristan alluded to, I think if you're looking at it as an investment, brand new against second hand, brand new statistically, you don't really have to do any work for the first 10 years, apart from maybe your own decoration and what yeah. have you. Whereas if you buy a new home, a, sorry, a second hand property, Within three months, you might something might go wrong. Yeah, something might you know you might want to change something. Something might you need to, need to change something. Whereas a new home, you know you're going to have invariably a one year or two year builder's warranty on the products within the house. You've also got the NHBC or the build warranty. You know that it's being built to a standard that is with the most recent building regulations because that's what it has to be built by. It can't just be built up and then yeah. somebody gives a, a warranty. So it's been built to the most recent building regulations, which change daily. Um, it's got a warranty on, on the build. So you've got a 10 year warranty, plus you've got the builder's warranty. So from a new home point of view, if I was looking at buying to rent on, I'll buy a new home. I think the other thing to mention for <coughs> when we're talking that end of the market for rentals for tenants, when you're talking to 225, something like that from a rental value, what I found historically is if we're talking about a second-hand four-bed detached that's been let out for the last 10 years, the cost of maintenance and refurbishment and management of that is so high that actually a lot of those four-bed detached properties that rent out are not great inside for the tenant. They're not fantastic condition. The carpets are filthy. The walls are not great. The bathrooms do need a refit. The tiles are, you know, the grout and and the mould is not looking fantastic. And, and I think that's because the cost of fitting that out after, you know, if we talk five, six, seven year cycles of tenants being in there, normally you've got to do probably 50% of that property for maintenance. But with a new build, like you say, it's very much convenient led for the investor. And I think if we're talking about different demographics of investors that aren't tradies and handy, then a lot of people are, say, money rich within reason, but time poor at the moment. And that's where the new build area comes into play really well for a for a convenient investor, I would say, as well. Yeah, but I think you've got to look at the, the point as well. I mean, this is something we discussed on the most recent um, partner chats we had on, on Zoom the other week. The actual percentage you will get more for a brand new home over a second-hand property, and they reckon in the UK it's as high as 
So if you, in Scotland, if you buy a brand new home in Scotland, you will get rent it for 41% more than the same equivalent second-hand property. Mm. And it comes down, um, I think it comes down to about sort of 21% in the southeast. Mm. So if you're buying a brand new home in the southeast, you're going to get 21% more rent than you would do of the same ilk second-hand property. Mm. I, would, I, would, I would beg the void period would be that much longer as well with the new build because it's nice being in a nice new property isn't it you yeah, know? yeah. it feels it feels good it's, a, it's a, you feel more comfortable living there but if you've got a, a dated bathroom or a dated kitchen it will always grate on you for a period of time and you'll look to buy yourself or, or, or rent another property so no really good exercise I, the, the next part of the podcast is where Tristan just says take your professional hat off and just fire some um, some questions at you individually, which um, we always love at the end of the podcast because it's nice and authentic and we'll find out a little bit about what you feel the market's going to do. So I'll uh, pass over to you. Thank you. If you can keep the answer sort of as short as possible. Um, you know me. I don't, exactly. I don't speak to it <laughs> in the quick, It used to way. be called quickfire and then we changed it because it was no longer quickfire. So what happens next in the property market? Um, obviously, we've got stamp duty holiday, sorry, stamp duty, not stamp duty, help to buy, finishing in March 2023. Um, so... Uh, we need to see what's going to happen with the government in terms of they're going to buy, bring any more um, buying schemes for first-time buyers because it's been very, very successful over the last three years, seven years. Obviously, it broke up in from um, everybody was eligible to it to then uh, 2019, I think it was, it went just to first-time buyers. Mm. Um, so I think if they do something with that, the market will continue to grow. Um I think there's still an awful lot of demand out there for new homes. Um, I think the way the developers have changed in what they're perceived built and what they're building, what the perception from the buyers is with regards to developers is a lot better than it used to be five, six, seven years ago. You know, you always used to hear the horror stories. You don't hear as much as that now. Yes, there's still a few companies that get it wrong and don't deal with it. There are companies that get it wrong, but then deal with it correctly. Um, but what the buyer needs to understand is it is a man-made product and there's used invariably up to 15 separate trades building a home. So all it needs is for one of those to go wrong. Yeah, or, or a supply issue. For one or a supply issue, yeah. 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 So um, long story short, I think the market will continue to rise. And do you think the cost of living will have any impact on that at all? No, because people, people's aspirations will always be to have a bigger and better home. Okay, cool. And then if you was to invest in a perfect property, what does that look like to you, buy to that property? Uh, if I was buying a property, I would buy a three or a four bedroom home. If I could afford it, if I couldn't, I would buy a two bedroom flat. Okay. Would you buy a new build or would you buy a second? That was my brand next new. question. <laughs> brand new, definitely. Brand new. <laughs> yeah. on, on record, brand new, definitely. Yeah, but always buy brand new because as I say, you've got, you've got that 10 year window minimum of not having to do any work on it. And, and I'll vouch for the fact that that's not just you selling new homes, you, you bought a new home as your last property, so you've yeah. vouched by that as well, definitely. Yeah. And what's the best single piece of advice you can give a property investor? Best single piece of advice? Um, look at the area, look at the environment, look at the developer, and look at the long-term aspect of it. Never buy a rental property as a short-term win. If you're going to buy an investment property, it needs to be a long-term gain because you'll not only earn the profit from the rental, but you'll also earn the capital growth because the invariable, the house market will always go up. 
when we see that every 10 years on, on house growth and a lot of buy-to-lets. Uh, yeah, I think if you look at the average house price in 1975, it was £100,000. The average house price now in 2022 is £297,000. Yeah. That's nearly a 300% increase, if mm. that's what my math's right. That's nearly a 300% increase. Crazy. I've seen that stat come through as well. I think I shouted out to you on the day. Yeah. It's like two hundred and forty-four percent increase, I think it was for the southeast. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I was gonna say, although a lot of people are um spouting about corrections in the market or the bubble, this bubble that this mystery bubble that's been spoken about for twenty years that we've not seen in the property market. Um we obviously saw it pop pop once, but that wasn't a bubble relating, it was down to obviously what was going on in the US. So I think, yeah, for the market, I totally agree with your points on that. I think we're looking at a shortage of properties on the market, a heightened amount of demand. And even if that demand levels off a little bit, we'll still see those two, three, four, five percent um, growths per year. Maybe not the craziness of what last year brought, where it was 10, 11, 12, 15 in some areas, but we'll still see a really solid, solid market. And it's been really good on this podcast to get a really inside specific um piece of information from you on exactly what's going on with developers and new homes so yeah really enjoyed it and thank you for time so andy's finished with us and yeah i thought that would be a really good podcast and actually for me i've again from a selfish point of view learned quite a lot about new homes and it gets me thinking every single time where do you invest in your next deal and i'm really thinking now from a new homes point of view a couple of options but what was your best takeaway very insightful for me it was uh, the ideal investment with a new home would be buying a show home and the reason for that is you buy it you lease it to or they lease it from you for a period of time which could be two three four years potentially yeah. while the developments are being built um, and then at the end of it they give it back and they'll normally go in and do some work to it as well so mm. you're pretty much buying a brand new property to rent for x amount of years and you'll come out of a new property at the end and you get a six and a half percent return on that as well so yeah it's a great investment to have really yeah and i happen to know the development near me there's four show homes i think the average price for the four show homes when purchased by a developer who did exactly that um was about half a million pounds each and they're let out for three thousand pounds a month each so unbelievable yield on it so definitely a great tip i thought it was really insightful to hear how developments are trying to be turned into communities and things like reuse of rainwater. Um, talk, you're talking about pumps and what's going on with boilers and things like that, but actually how developers are trying to make them um, e-friendly communities is quite interesting. The different demographics of what planning permission uh, councils effectively look for to approve a site as well. So very insightful. I'm sure people listening might have some questions for Andy. If you do, Check him out, like I said, on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. He's on Facebook specifically. Um, Mead New Homes, and you'll get all the information there. And obviously, feel free to drop him a DM if you want any advice on some new homes. Or if you are a developer and you're thinking, actually, I'd like to talk to Andy about some pricing schedules um, or potentially some marketing, then definitely check him out there as well because I think you'd, uh, you'd get a lot of information from that. So until next week, Tristan, Mike's back from holiday, and I'm looking forward to our next guest. I'm flicking through YouTube and through spotify i don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on youtube that landlords could land on where they're not being sold something i mean it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question but why not ask that question to a wider audience they just have the knowledge there but they don't seem to share it you can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio the rules change every year yeah but why not just open the floor out and just say 
Well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously a stamp duty cost that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.